0: This is an RNZ podcast. Donors were told if they donated under 15K, it didn't need to be legally declared and their names wouldn't be made public.
1: There is no way we would want our names disclosed and it flashed all around the newspapers that we paid money to a political party. Because once you do in this country, you get crucified. That was part of a report by TVNZ's Katie Bradford on One News from the Auckland High Court last Monday at the start of week two of a fraud trial expected to last six weeks. The Serious Fraud Office has charged two men with obtaining by deception about three quarters of a million dollars that was paid into bank accounts associated with the New Zealand First Party but not properly declared to the Electoral Commission. Now The media have tried several times to get permission to name these two individuals who've been charged, but without success so far. And as TVNZ's Katie Bradford said in her report, the 40-odd New Zealand First donors weren't keen to have their backing of the party made public either. But those names have been coming out in court. Newsroom's co-editor Tim Murphy this week described them as a small group of wealthy business people who banded together to fund New Zealand First before the 2017 election to make Winston Peters kingmaker and achieve a change of government. But back in mid-2020, two rich people who are famous for paying out substantial sums to influence politics overseas were only too happy to let it be known that they backed New Zealand First and its leader. The self-styled bad boys of Brexit, Aaron Banks and Andy Wigmore, bankrolled a big-money campaign to persuade Britons to vote to leave the European Union back in 2016. Indeed, so much money was put into the campaign that it was fined for overspending by the UK's Electoral Commission, but only after they got the Brexit result that they really wanted and in July 2020, the pair told a British newspaper they were sending a team to New Zealand to help New Zealand first in the upcoming election with what they called mischief, mayhem and political guerrilla warfare. The pair then denied they were sending anyone to New Zealand in a weird interview with Newshub's Europe correspondent at the time, Lloyd Burr, in which they also told him this. There's a contract between us uh, that's uh, no doubt with the Electoral Commission or whatever, or, or Gus body will be released in due course. As you all know, because of past um, I think they, the issued a, they, they issued a statement saying that there wasn't a crack team of six people flying <laughs> to New <laughs> Zealand, because there wasn't. Well, after that, Aaron Banks's promise to deliver Winston on steroids and at least 13% of the popular vote for New Zealand First came to nothing in 2020. And Aaron Banks was back in the headlines this week in the UK when he lost a libel court case that some have hailed as a major win for press freedom. Back in 2019, investigative reporter Carol Cadwallader, a key figure in exposing the scandal of Facebook and Cambridge Analytica, said this about Aaron Banks in a TED Talk.
0: And I'm not even going to go into the lies that Aaron Banks has told about his covert relationship with the Russian government.
1: Carol Cadwallader's TED Talk was based on years of reporting she'd done for UK papers The Guardian and The Observer. But Aaron Banks, who insisted he had no such ties to Russia, sued her for libel personally. But This week, Channel 4 in the UK reported this result.
0: Today, the judge found, although the comments were damaging to Banks, that Carol Cadwallader had acted in the public
1: interest when she made the statement. Because at the time, Mr Banks was being investigated by the National Crime Agency and the Electoral Commission, but later both cases against him were dropped. And there was an unexpected Kiwi link to this when New Zealand freelance journalist Tom Much, a familiar face and voice recently for his reporting on the ground from the war in Ukraine, revealed that he was a part of the story. He said that he was a researcher working with a biographer of banks who was mentioned in the judgment as a key figure in unearthing emails that showed banks did have dealings with people in Russia. The judgment said that Carol Cadwallader had established that it was reasonable for her to believe that publication of the allegations against Banks were in the public interest, but Carol Cadwallader's TED Talk claims had caused serious harms to Banks' reputation. The judgment also made plain. So while Press Freedom advocates have said that Aaron Banks' failed libel cases are a big win for public interest journalism... Visit. I asked Peter Gagan, director and chief editor of the UK's Open Democracy Foundation, which has also investigated foreign financing of politics in Britain.
0: People with power, money and influence have been able to take journalists, investigative journalists to court, um, causing huge, huge harm for them in many respects. But, and what's really significant in this is Mrs Justice Stein finds that the public interest was in Carol Cardwallader's favour, that it was in the public's interest for Carol Cardwallader to report what she believed at the time were the facts about Aaron Banks and his links to, to Russia. So it's a really significant moment, I think, for uh, journalists, for people like myself, investigative reporters and others who have long argued that this public interest test should be able to defend us a lot more than it currently does. So it, I think it is a really significant ruling.
1: I heard Carol Kenweller on the BBC's media show this week and she talked about how this dominated her life and effectively that if she had lost, it would have, you know, ruined her... I mean, in the end, she said something. She couldn't really back up. So can we really call it a win for media freedom in this instance?
0: It is important to kind of put down in in law the idea that there's a public interest in investigative reporting, in speaking truth to power. I think that's really, really important. But there's another way in which you can see this is not being a, a victory for media freedom and not just in, 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 in having a threat of defamation hanging over you. As I know myself, I've never actually been sued in a court, but I've had many threats hanging over me it's a very stressful and uh, anxiety ridden experience it's not necessarily who said what and what the outworkings of that are it's a bigger question of, well why does this have to end up in a high court why does it have to cost millions of pounds for this to happen there's an opportunity for people to say okay look this has happened how do we come to you know what's reasonable what's what's uh, an equitable kind of endpoint to this, but instead we end up with these huge, huge legal battles which take place in courtrooms and and are incredibly costly for everyone, both the plaintiffs and the defendant.
1: Well the National Union of Journalists in the UK raised concern in relation to this case about so-called SLAP cases or uh, strategic lawsuits against public participation, effectively legal action that's taken against journalists or possibly whistleblowers to silence them effectively. Um, Although the judge in this case said it wasn't actually fair or apt to describe it as such a case
0: this is one big high profile case but it's not the only case that's been going through the courts and in, in relation to defamation law in the uk at all we regularly receive um legal threats often from you know international oligarchs people who use the city of london to launder and wash money etc etc and This is rarely about an actual courtroom uh, battle. What you saw with Aaron Banks and Carol Cadwallader, or even with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard in the British courts, is quite unusual. We rarely see defamation cases ending up actually in court. What happens is they drag on the background for years and years. They take up huge amounts of journalistic time and resources, and that is the point of them. And they have a chilling effect on reporting.
1: Carol Cadwallader on the BBC's media show was quite upset, uh, really, about... The lack of coverage of this outcome. She said some days there were just no mainstream media court reporters there at all. Why would that be? Because there's huge public interest in, you know, the funding of political campaigns, particularly around Brexit and all the things that have come out since that vote
0: reporters and news editors were like, well, Aaron Banks is trying to sue Carol over Let's let's even though you you know obviously you, you're perfectly entitled to report on court cases, but let's not get too involved with this. Let's kind of take a step back. Let's let's not have any potential damage for us in this. And you know, and you can never in some ways underestimate the the the, the kind of concerns of of, of editors on, on senior titles for for that. For Carol, there was there's definitely been um she has been I think unfairly maligned for aspects of her reporting and I think that kind of shone through in some of the lack of solidarity we saw and I hope that this is going to change now in the back of this judgment and that this might be a kind of watershed moment where You know, journalists understand and see that there's a huge value in reporting on these cases and showing solidarity with one another.
1: Well, I guess it remains to be seen if this case, um, Banks versus Cadwallader, ends up being a kind of legal uh, precedent or part of case law. But fascinating level of detail in the judgment. The judge clearly did a lot of her own research to find out what had gone on in the background uh, to fully understand the claims an interesting for example it mentions uh, Peter Dukes um, who's a journalist with an outfit called Byline Times so another online non-mainstream media investigative um, outlet maybe some of the heavy lifting in cases like this is being done by independently minded journalists like Carol Cadwallader and independent online outlets like yours and um, Byline Times so maybe the mainstream media is kind of left behind cases like this I think that's very much part
0: of it. I think a lot of mainstream media outlets just haven't seen the value in this and haven't seen how important it is from a public interest position that these these stories get covered.
1: That was Peter Gagan, director and chief editor of the UK's Open Democracy Foundation, which has investigated foreign financing of politics in the UK, talking to me there about a win in court in the UK for journalist Carol Cadwallader, who was sued for libel by a self-described bad boy of Brexit, Aaron Banks, who also made big noises about getting involved in politics here back in 2020.